Good morning, everyone, and greetings to all of you joining us online today, and a happy Thanksgiving uh, to you all. I think, I think everyone loves uh, Thanksgiving, unless you're turkey, <laughs> then I guess you'd have good reason not to be uh, too fond of the day, perhaps. But I think we need to begin uh, today by doing a little poll, so cooperate with me now. Come on, you online people, we want you involved in this too. We need an important poll to take here. So what'll it be? Will it be turkey or ham? Ham. Come on, you online people, get involved in this. Ham or turkey, come on. So your online pastor, Pastor Ben, is waiting for you. In-house, how many would say turkey? Okay, okay, how many ham? Good for you, Glenn, and good for you. And Tessa and Warner, okay, the hams have it. All right, what about, do you make the, the do you do, you online people too now, come on, help us out here. Uh, homemade uh, cranberry sauce, or do you do the, the canned, canned stuff, homemade stuff? All right, few, okay. Uh, the, the canned cranberry stuff. Well, it'll be a slight margin, but I think the homemade stuff, all right, one more. One more. This is important now. Do you make your own dressing or do you the, do the stovetop thing? Homemade dressing. And the stovetop? Oh, the, okay. All right. That's important. Thank you. Thank you for cooperating. This being uh, Thanksgiving Day and this, I'm sure for many of you as for us, I think last year we had 17 for th around the table at Thanksgiving, and uh, this year I think we're going to be five. So the bubble has changed somewhat, but that doesn't mean that you can't be just as grateful as you would otherwise. That's true, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so anyway, I'm interrupting our discipleship series for this one week only. We'll come back to it uh, next week. But uh, this is just kind of heavy on my heart, but in a good way. I just feel I need to preach to you a Thanksgiving sermon and I want to talk to you for a few minutes about why I love the church. Listening to his words was difficult for me. Because as he spoke, he made it, he made it very clear that he didn't love her. He used words like disappointed. He used words like disillusioned. He said, he even said he felt alienated from her. Now, the her he was speaking about was not his wife. No, he was talking about the church. He, he was once an active part of the church, but no longer. He was adamant when he spoke to me. He said this, I don't need the church. He spoke with such firmness. There was a, there was a, a finality to his words. It was, it was very hard for me to understand. For you see, I love the church. I've always loved the church. I was, I've always been part of the church. I was raised in the church. I was carried into the church. When I was just an infant, I toddled in as a three-year-old. I ran in as an eight-year-old. And I was loved and tolerated in the church right here in this very church when I was a teenager. 
a long time ago. I met my wife, future wife in the church, just down the road. She was a Corbett Avenueer. I raised my children in the church. I met, I, ha, I met many of my lifelong friends in the church. And so I do. I do love the church. And the church has loved me. The church has accepted me. It's been patient with me. The church has prayed for me. They taught me. They mentored me. Yes, the church has discipled me. And they've loved me all my life. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want to express my gratitude to the Father, and I want to express to you, the church, why I love the church. I want to tell you why I've had this love affair with the church over three quarters of a century now. But then I want to assure you this morning, before we get into the word, that this isn't just a testimony, me telling you why I love the church. Because I share this love for the church with Paul the Apostle. And so my, my reasons for loving the church are firmly based in the word. And so my prayer this morning as I share this with you is that it may be for you. It would fan the flame of your love for the church. And maybe there's some listening to me here or online today that uh, you really need something to kind of reignite your passion for the church. My prayer is that this will help. Now, I realize that COVID-19 has affected the way we do church. There's no question about that. But I need to tell you that COVID-19 has only deepened my love for the church, for the church will ever be the church. COVID-19 will not ultimately do the church any damage. Loved ones, you remember Jesus' words, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus said that now. And so for sure, if the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, COVID-19 won't. So let me share with you now, these next moments together, three reasons why Paul the Apostle and I so fervently love the church, why we're so grateful for the church. Here's reason number one. The church preaches the truth inclusively. I could have used the word there unabashedly, meaning what? That the church preaches the truth not selectively. It, it, the church preached all my life. The church has preached all of the truth everything. I'm grateful on this Thanksgiving weekend for the church because it doesn't, hasn't, through my years, just taught me the truth that I wanted to hear. The truth has also preached and taught me the truth that I need to hear. So let's, and where do I find that in the word? Old man Paul, writing to young pastor Timothy. Here's what he says. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. Then he says it, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. See it? There's some hard truth right there. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. 
So you see it? All scripture is inspired by God. I like one translation that puts it this way. Rather than inspired by God, the NIV says the scriptures are God-breathed. Isn't that a great expression? I can hear Paul as he's speaking to Timothy, writing to Timothy, saying, now, Timothy, you did notice, didn't you, that I said all scripture is inspired by God. Timothy, preach it all, not just the truth that people love to hear, but preach the hard truth too. And he spells it out, truth that makes us realize what is wrong in our lives, not just truth that affirms us, truth that straightens us out. My preacher dad pastored here at Cross Point when I was a, a child and a teen growing up right here. And when I, I was in my mid-30s before I made the career change to go over into pastoral ministry, and my dad was always dropping little bits of advice on me. Here's one of them. John, don't just preach sermons that comfort the afflicted. Preach sermons, too, that afflict the comfortable. He's saying, preach it all. Preach it all, John. Don't be selective. Preach it all. 20 years ago, I visited the mega church in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. At that time, the pastor was a man by the name of Bob Russell, and so I heard him speak while there, and he told us, he said, we were just finishing our new building, and the current carpet had not been laid, so I invited staff members to bring spray paint or magic markers, and I suggested they write their favorite verse on the concrete floor, which would then be covered up, but that would be a reminder to them that the church is founded on the word of God. Isn't that good? I think, Pastor John, that'd be a great word for us. This carpet desperately needs. I think our next gear up project around here ought to be to replace this carpet. And if we do that, we'll invite you in with your spray paint and your magic markers before the carpet goes down. Anyway, he's, t he's telling about this. And he said, he said, with his staff, the idea caught on. So the minister of music wrote in his office, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And in the activity craft room, that would be like over there in our fellowship hall where the children are now, they wrote on the floor, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Russell goes on, he says, one of the 40-year-old, 40-something single women on the staff on her office floor wrote these words, if any, any man would come after me, let him. <laughs> okay, said they could write whatever they wanted, right? And Russell says that in my office, I wrote, preach the word, what a great reminder, preach the word in season and out of season. Well, that doesn't communicate much to us today. Here's a modern translation putting it. The NLT says, preach the word of God. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct. There comes the hard truth. Rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. You hearing this? God forbid this ever should happen to us. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. Not my church. Not this church. Not today. Not ever. Are you with me on that? Yes. I love the church. 
Come on, you online people, do you love the church? Send us a little bit of love there. Why don't you do that? I love the church, and I love the church for preaching the truth inclusively, not selectively, but all of it. And we live, we live in a culture today that increasingly, increasingly insists that there's, that there's no really, in this modern day, there's, there's no universal truth. That every society and every age can set its own standard of morality. And, and, and they would even say to us, and I'm sure you hear this, you read this, or you hear it in the news media or the entertainment media, that book, the Bible that you hold so dear, yes, there's some good stuff in there, but we need to remind you, says the culture is just a book. There's some valuable truth, but there's much fable and myth and legend in there. No, I love the church for boldly declaring what God said in his book is true yesterday, today, and forever. I have a little item. I, I think the author of this little piece is unknown, but I keep it around in a, in a book, in a Bible, and I pull it out and read it once in a while, and it reads, the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its decisions are unchangeable. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you believe that? I'm so grateful for the church for preaching all of my life the truth inclusively. Well, here's a second reason I love the church. Here it is. I love the church because the church, while preaching the truth, still the church extends grace liberally. And I take you back to Paul again. He writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, God saved you by his grace. Another way of saying that would be God saved you by his special favor when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And so I can stand here and say to you, no matter who you are, and to those of you out there, no matter who you are, grace, grace to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how long you may have gone your own way, no matter how much truth you may have ignored or how much truth you may have violated, grace, 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 grace for you. Now, I know the church. I've been around the church, as you know. I've said it before, a long, long time. And, and the church has struggled at time to get that right balance between grace and truth. The Gospel of John introduces Jesus this way. John doesn't tell the Christmas story. He just begins talking about Jesus. And he says about Jesus, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I love the church. I love the church. I know it's been a struggle at times. I, I, I love the church for struggling to do just what Jesus did to get that truth and grace balance right. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, is recorded this event in the life of Jesus. Jesus was in the temple teaching. And in came the religious leaders dragging a woman 
that they had caught in the act of adultery, said those pompous religious leaders. Teacher, the law of Moses says we ought to stone her. What do you say? Now, they thought at this point they had Jesus trapped. And for three years now, Jesus had been teaching grace and truth. Said the religious leaders, the law says she should be stoned. What did Jesus do? Remember, you're familiar with the story. It went like this. All right, Jesus said, which of you, which of you is without sin? You throw the first stone. None of us would have a stone in our hand, would we? And one by one, one by one, they, they slipped away. And now the accusers are all gone. And there stood Jesus and the woman in front of him and the waiting crowd all around wondering what Jesus would do next says Jesus to the woman where are your accusers are there are there none now that will condemn you and her answer was no Lord and then Jesus answered these wonderful words hear this neither do I condemn you there's the grace see it but he didn't omit the truth he added these words go he addressed her sin go and sin no more you must you must quit this, this lifestyle that you're in that's damaging to you in your life. Grace and truth. I, I love the church for all of my years being a grace place first. A place where we just love folks and get them to Jesus and let him do the changing. A few years ago, I had the privilege of serving uh, on a missions team at the Bowery Mission in Lower Manhattan, New York City. And they work, as you may have heard of them, they work with street people, the homeless, addicts, prostitutes, people with lives desperately messed up. And they owned a van, and they used that van to transport food out to the various places they would stop and feed people on the street. And it was also equipped with sound equipment so they could open the doors and preach right from the back of the van or whatever. And, uh, but I loved the sign that was painted on the front of the van. And on the front of the van, big sign, we catch them, Jesus cleans them. Isn't that good? You like that? Isn't that good? We catch them, Jesus cleans them. And we need to hear this. I think the church needs to be reminded often that, that folk with messed up lives don't need to hear a message that goes like this. Now straighten up and then come on to church then. Maybe we can introduce you to Jesus. No, that isn't the way it works. We just, and when Jesus was here, people just came to him with their, with their messed up lives, their issues and their problems, and he accepted them. And I love the church. I love the church for acting like Jesus. I'm so grateful for a church that, that for preaching the truth, all of it inclusively, and yet extending grace at the same time liberally. I love the church. Do you love the church? Do you, do you onlyers, come on, send us a little more love here to Pastor Ben. Do you love the church? Here's number three. Here's the third and last reason today that I have had this lifelong love affair with the church. Here it is. The church sees lives transformed dramatically. If we catch them, if we catch them, really, Jesus really does clean them. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this truth so clearly. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, 
If you're a child of God today, if you've repented of your faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, he's working within you today. He's transforming you. And so the verse says, and as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. You see it? Transformation just happens. And again, this time to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. You see that? God is in the business of doing makeovers. Did you, were you here last week or did you catch it online? Pastor John Sherwood's great sermon on uh, last week. It was a great sermon. He talked about baptism symbolizing when a person, we practice baptism by immersion. When you put someone under the water, it symbolizes death to the old life. And then and, and while they're down there in the water, washing over them symbolizes the washing of our sins away. And then coming up out of the water is symbolic of a resurrection to a new life. Transformation happens in us constantly. In the deep south, an old preacher, when he immersed someone in the water for baptism, he really liked to emphasize that the, the, the going down in the water was symbolic of a death. And so while they were, you hearing this? While they were under the water, he would baptize them and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and that you might, all the time the people are under the water. Wouldn't be good to have a pastor that stuttered or stammered a little bit. And then when he finished the whole line, he would bring, we won't do that. But the point being, he's emphasizing the, back, the fact that, that God working in us is in the business of making us new creatures. There's a transformation taking place in you and in me. I love the church. The church constantly sees lives transformed dramatically. Has, your, has Jesus changed your life? Has he? Those of you following us, yes, that's a good sound. That's a good sound. Those of you online, has he, has he transformed your life? Communicate with us today. Tell Pastor Ben that, just that, would you? Adam Brewer is pastor of King's Church West in St. John. And he also leads the largest Celebrate Recovery. I don't know what you know about Celebrate Recovery, but it's just an awesome program for people dealing with difficult issues. But then again, aren't we all dealing with issues? He leads the largest Celebrate Recovery program in the Maritime Provinces. Adam Brewer is my friend, and he's, whenever I'm done with my time here with you at Crosspoint as your pastor, he will be my future pastor. Hear him as he speaks. The church does see lives transformed. Um, the church does transform lives. And I have an amazing story to share with you. Uh, Pastor John asked me to share it. And um, we were looking for a building here in the West Side location in St. John. And we've been looking for a while. And um, I saw this building, saw the, the phone number on it. So I said, I got to go meet this guy. And a friend of mine went with me. And we go over to, to talk to the landlord, the, the guy that was leasing the building. And we're looking at it. 
and talking to this gentleman. And as we were talking to him, we started to make a few connections. Uh, he realized who, who my dad was and who I was. And we started just talking about different things and he used to fish a lot with my father. And it was just a really neat conversation. And then just out of nowhere, he looked at me and he said, your brother was the drug addict. And as we're sitting there looking, um, if many of you know my story, I actually looked back across at Fred and I said, actually, no, Fred, um, that was me. And the look on his face <laughs> to realize that the pastor that wanted to lease this building was the drug addict. He couldn't believe it. And, and his wife actually ran the office out front and uh, he yells out, Martha, 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 Kimmy, get in here. You got to get in here. And she comes running in wondering what's going on and he stands up and looks at his wife and he says Martha this guy right here used to be a dope addict and now he's a pastor and they're changing lives and they need a building we gotta help them out and it was an amazing opportunity and we all sat there and we cried and just to encourage you that the church sees lives changed. Jesus changes lives all the time and he changed mine. He took me and elevated me, restored me and fired me up. And because of the power of Jesus, he transforms lives. And as a church, we get to be part of that. That's who we are. Isn't that awesome? Why do you like that story? There's an old gospel song that goes like this. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for Adam Brewer, well, actually, the song doesn't say that. I put his name is. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. If you need a transformation in your life, he's here, and that could happen to you even this day. Pastor John and Ruthie are going to come back and lead us in a what I would call it a great Thanksgiving Day hymn, pardon for sin and a peace that endures your own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I would like to declare to cross pointers here present in the room and those of you with us online today, Father, I love you and I love your church. I love the church for teaching me what I'm going to share with you now, this, just min this minute or so, this good news. Here it is. You see, God wants to have a relationship with all of us. But without exception, we have all, we're all re rebels. We've all sinned against him. We've all thought things we shouldn't have thought and said things we regret. And maybe we're not all addicts or whatever, but we've all come short of God's perfect standard. And we've broken off that relationship with God. And most of us, and that's the truth, most of us are aware of this. And we, we try to do things to bridge the gap between God and us. Maybe it's church attendance or if I'm a good person. And if I if support worthy causes and I give to the food bank and on and on. And those are good things. But nothing ever works. Nothing will ever be able to bridge the gap between sinful you and I and a holy God. And the news gets worse. The truth is even harder in that our sin against a holy God have separated us from him. Separated us from him. And we're all under a death sentence. And that doesn't just mean 
that we're going to, this body will lay down and die one day. It means we are destined to spend forever separated from God himself. And here's where grace comes in. But God loves us so much, he couldn't let that happen. So he came down himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and died on that cross. And the cross of Jesus Christ bridges the gap between holy God and sinful you and I. His death on that cross took our place. He canceled our death sentence when he died on that cross. And the transformation comes in when we say, I believe that. I believe the gospel. I believe. And we tell the Father, Father, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I believe you sent your son to take the punishment for my sins. I place my trust in him now. Forgive me for my sins. I'll live for you and serve you. And when we do that, the transformation begins inside of us. That's the glorious gospel. The church told me that. It shared that with me. I share it with you. And maybe there are some in this very room this morning. You'd have to say, Pastor John, I, I have yet to make that decision. I've yet to cross the bridge. This could be the day, this very moment. There are those of you watching online today that you've heard that gospel and you, you sense the, the knocking. doesn't sound like a knock maybe, but there's an emptiness, a yearning down inside of you and you're thinking, I've never crossed that bridge. Would you, would you do that today? I'm going to pray a prayer and you could pray right along with me if you're here today and would like to make that decision or if you're online today, would make that decision. And for those of you that are in-house, there will be a couple of us here at the front, at the end. And we'd invite you, if you're here, to come and, and, and tell us that, yes, I made that decision right here, right today. And if you're online, would you come back? Would you send a note there? Would you communicate with Pastor Ben saying, yes, I made that decision today? If you'd make that decision, you'd pray a prayer similar to this one, God. I realize I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. And I repent of my sins today. Would you come into my life and change me and forgive my sin? And I'll live for you and I'll serve you all the days of life. my life. Change me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, those of you online today, if you made that decision, would you communicate with us and let us know? If you, gave, if you would give us a number, we would be most happy to call you and pray with you.